0: Father, we're grateful we can communicate with you, we can talk to you, and as we reflect some on prayer this morning, looking at several portions of Scripture, we want to be those who are applying what we learn as you teach us, being blessed because we're doing it. Work in our lives as we are sensitive to you, not only as we interact with your word, but as a pattern of life. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. You may have heard the statement, when all else fails, pray. I would say before all else fails, Pray. Before you do anything else, pray. After you've done everything else, pray. And developing a pattern of life of praying. will be going through Mark, but deviating from Mark. I want to look at some passages in Acts in relation to prayer. And want to consider just the issue of cause and effect. <laughs> cause and effect as it would relate to prayer. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts, we're dealing with the early church, the first days of the church, believing the church began on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2 taking place shortly after the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, and reading together verses 43 through 47. Acts 2, 43 through 47. Everyone was filled with awe. saved. Now, we find that people were filled with awe, and that doesn't seem to be limited to those in the church. It also seems to be involving those who may have been in Jerusalem. Some miraculous signs were done by the apostles, and I realize we're dealing with the early church. We're not looking for that to happen necessarily today. There was openness or oneness among believers openness, oneness among believers. Notice in verse 44, all believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as had need. Now keep in mind on the day of Pentecost, people, Jews, would have come from outside of Jerusalem, from other areas, and they would not have necessarily been planning to stay for a period of time and apparently some of them stayed beyond the day of Pentecost and they would have had need. How are we gonna eat? How are we gonna be supplied for? So what the believers were doing was they were selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone that had need. So Daniel sells his house. Daniel and Alberta sell their house and they bring in, you know, this is for whoever has a need, you know. Someone sells another item, they bring. They have some money in savings, they bring it. I'm going to cash in my retirement fund. That was what was happening. There was oneness, there was unity in that respect. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, apparently evolving, eating together, but also the Lord's Supper, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, and they're praising God, and then people are saved, God adds to their number. I would pose the question, is there a cause behind that? Let's go back to the Gospel of John. Earlier in the Bible, just a few pages, to John chapter 17. John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 kind of goes together. Jesus is speaking to the twelve preparing them for the time when he will not be on the earth, and immediately following John 17, we find that Jesus is arrested. But in John 17, begin reading with verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I brought you glory on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. He then goes on in verse 6, I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. And he's talking about the 12 that he would be praying for. And he prays for the 12 in various ways. Then skip down to verse 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So the 12, minus Judas, are going to go out and they're going to be sharing the message of Christ. People are going to come to faith. And Jesus is praying for them. He says in verse 21, as he prays, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is praying for those in Acts chapter 2 in this passage. And I don't think it's limited to that. I think it would involve us today also. And if you notice that there was oneness among believers. Let's also go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. On one occasion while he was eating with them, apparently the 11 at this point in time, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So they did wait in Jerusalem. And then go to verse 12. This is after Jesus ascended in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now go over to Acts chapter 2, and verse 42. Acts 2 and verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There was constant prayer. They were devoted to, they were adhering to, fully engaged in, committed to prayer in the long term. Apparently, all believers were involved. Back in chapter 1 and verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. That would include some 120 people in light of verses 15 and 16. In Acts 2, after the day of Pentecost, would have been a great number of people They would have devoted themselves to prayer. What that looked like, we don't necessarily know, but nevertheless, they prayed. Let's go to Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. None claimed that anything of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need now in light of that portion of scripture we find in effect the meeting place was shaken believers were filled with the Holy Spirit not living in their own strength and their own ability but through the Spirit of God and the word of God was spoken with boldness and there was oneness among believers, that oneness in this particular setting is that there was no needy person. You know, people sold lands and houses and then would bring the money. And in chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira ended up blind to the Holy Spirit because they claimed one thing, but in reality, something different happened. But there was a oneness among them. What is the cause? Remember John 17 that Jesus also prayed for these people in Acts 4. In Acts 1, they also prayed. And in Acts 2, they were devoted to prayer. But look at chapter 4. What is happening in the context of chapter 3 and 4? Peter and John are on the way to the temple. And they end up healing a man on the way to the temple. And as a result, Peter and John have opportunity to share with those who observed. But Let's pick up with reading in verse 1 of chapter 4. The priests and captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed the number of men grew to about 5,000. Peter and John, doing what they're supposed to be doing and what happens, they get in some trouble and they end up, end up in jail. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, as was Caiaphas, John, Alexandria, and other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? That is the healing that took place. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. <coughs> Peter, John, responding to questioning. Questioning. I want you to skip down to verse 21 of Acts 4. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So they're released. And in verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. By the way, one of the things that they were told was to, and this is a Brubaker paraphrase, shut up. Don't speak about Christ. Verse 24, when they heard this, they, the believers, raised their voices together in prayer to God. Here's their prayer. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by your Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, <coughs> whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord... Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I find it interesting that when Peter and John shared what had happened, they had been arrested and they'd spent the night in jail that the church prayed. And they didn't pray, God, help us get out of this. We don't want any more persecution. Rather, the prayer was, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs. There was united prayer by believers. What that looked like, I don't know. If they were in small groups or the 5,000 plus people were together, we don't know. But they prayed. The believers in Jerusalem prayed. They were together. It was a united effort. Prayer in Acts and the epistles involves aligning our will with God's will and then asking for what God wants to give to believers who desire Him. Not merely what He gives. Prayer is aligning our will with God's will and then asking God for what He wants to give. For the people in Acts 4 to say, Now God... Peter and John went through some difficulty. No more difficulty for Peter and John. That's contrary to God's will because Christ already told the disciples that they're going to go through persecution. So, in the midst of going through persecution, they prayed, Lord, give your servants boldness as they speak. They're aligning their will with God's will. So, we're in the midst of a trial and we say, God, get us out of this trial. Stop and talk to God and align your will with God's will. God's will in a trial is for you to rejoice and to seek his wisdom. See, I think prayer involves aligning our will with God's will and then asking for what God wants to give believers who desire him. Now, as we think about Acts and the epistles, there's a lie that we're tempted to believe about prayer, and it is stated Prayer is primarily an individual talking to God. That is, an individual alone. The majority of the songs on prayer in our hymnal and other hymnals deal with an individual talking to God. I'm not knocking those songs. You don't find many that talk about a group praying. Acts in the epistles talk about groups praying. The letters are written to local churches. Nothing wrong with an individual praying, but we think prayer is primarily individual when prayer in light of Acts in the epistles is primarily group in some way, shape, or form. Whether it be a family, whether it be a marriage, or whether it be a local church. Some scripture in relation to that and we won't have time to look at all of these, but in John chapter 15, Jesus there talks about prayer. If you abide in me, my words abide, and you ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. He's talking to a body of people. He's talking to the 12. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying with the apostles present. He's talking to the Father, but he's praying with the apostles In Acts, most of the praying in Acts is corporate, that is, with others. In the epistles, much of prayer is corporate, as a body, as a married couple, as a family. And then in James 4, and we want to turn to that passage just briefly in James chapter 4. In James chapter 4. He's writing to believers who are scattered among various nations. This would be taking place years after the day of Pentecost. But writing to groups of believers, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Now apparently there's some fights and quarrels among the people he's writing to. Nothing new, is it, that believers fight and quarrel? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Now the last time that you were in a fight and a quarrel with your mate, with your children, with your parents, or with some other believer, if you're honest, it comes from desires within you. He says you kill, or rather you want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives, you know, looking out for self. And then he says, you idolatrous people, don't you know with... That friendship with the world is hatred toward God. And he goes on to say some other things. But he's writing to a group of believers or groups of believers that apparently are having difficulty in some way, shape, or form. The only point I want to make is it's a group. It's not an individual. There's fights and there's quarrels. There's got to be more than one. Question in just a moment, in light of what I said earlier about lies we believe. Now, we may think prayer is primarily an individual talking to God, but my question in light of that is this Is the reason we think individual prayer is so great due to the fact that we have not or are not experiencing? The following corporate prayer in marriage. How many of us are experiencing the greatness of praying with our mate? And I realize in some cases that's not applicable because your mate may not be a believer, your mate is not living. But those of us who are married, we say, I pray alone. But as you look at Scripture, we're part of a marriage. We're to be praying with our mate. And the greatness of that. Will you say, I just enjoy praying alone. But you're one with your mate. Why wouldn't you pray with them? Or... The greatness of corporate prayer as a family, with children, with your mate, with your parents. Children and parents praying together, parents and children praying together. The greatness of that. Oh, individual prayer, yes. But there's something about praying with others, praying in a group, as a family, that has a tremendous impact. One of the greatest things I would have experienced growing up was mom and dad and us kids praying together. Or maybe we haven't experienced corporate prayer and ministry with other leaders and teachers. Getting together with other Awana leaders, getting together with other teen leaders, getting together with other Sunday school teachers or Sunday school leaders and just praying together. I can honestly say, in my opinion, the greatest time of our elders getting together is a half hour, 45 minutes or hour that we pray together. That's the high point for me. Just praying, the fellowship. We're talking to a common father, through a common high priest, through a common indwelling Holy Spirit. Or corporate prayer as a church. they you know, just praying together as a body of believers. A couple of questions. And again, not looking for response. We have marriages, whether it be our local church or another local church, but we're dealing with our local church that seem to be fine but husband and wife are not praying together. Husbands are tempted to be passive in leading in prayer in marriage. Trust me, I am one. If your marriage is going fairly well, when was the last time you prayed together as a couple? If your marriage is going fairly well and you're made as a believer or living, when was the last time you prayed together? Why can we eat together, go out together, watch TV together, but don't pray together? We end up choosing to live in our own strength. Guys, I'm asking you a pointed question. I'm not looking for a response. Will you lead in praying with your wife? We have marriages that struggle at times, part of life. Husbands and wives may have negative thoughts, withdraw, verbally say unkind things, but continue to live together, but don't reflect Christ and the church in their relationship. What would happen if they as a couple got on their knees together and prayed to God, confessing selfishness, self-centeredness, cutting words, and arrogance, and ask God for help. There's something about a couple praying together that solves issues that nothing else can. It breaks hearts. Husbands, if you're struggling in your marriage, will you invite your wife to pray with you? We have families, parents, children, who seem to be doing well, but are parents and children praying together and talking about children who are still living at home. Fathers, again, are tempted to be passive in leading in prayer as a family. If your family is doing well, are you praying together as a family beyond prayer at a meal? Why can we play together? watch a movie together, talk together, eat together, but not pray together. We're choosing to live in our own strengths. Husbands, fathers, will you invite your family to pray together? We have families at times, parents and children, that may struggle. Parents may be upset at children. They may not be teaching and training. Fathers may be embittering their children. Children may not be obedient from desire or maybe rebellious. There are tense moments, there are unkind words, and some wish they didn't live at home at times. What would happen if father and mother and children got on their knees together and talked to God? Confessing selfishness, disobedience, Pride, cutting words, and just ask God for help. Fathers, if your family is struggling, will you invite your wife and children to pray together? Our ministries, such as Sunday School, Teens, Iwana, VBS, <clears throat> Music ministry may be doing well at times, but are leaders and teachers and parents praying together? Head leaders are tempted to be passive in getting others together to pray. If Sunday school, teens, and Awana, BBS, music ministry are doing fairly well, when was the last time your ministry leaders got together to pray? just to pray. We can minister together, we can talk together, we can plan together, but we don't pray together. At times, whether it be our church or other churches, we may have struggles in Sunday school, teens in Awana, VBS or music ministry. There may be withdrawal, there may be unkind words, we may focus upon ourselves. What would happen if leaders and teachers and parents got on their knees together and prayed? Sunday school superintendent, assistant Sunday school superintendent, teen leader, teen leaders, Iwana commander, VBS directors, music leaders, will you lead your ministry in praying together? you study scripture, you will find that there seems to be the Word of God being very central. We're springing out from Christ being ultimately central. But the Word of God and prayer being intimately related to one another. And unless I miss my guess, in every marriage represented here, every family represented here, and every ministry represented here, there's two things that the enemy has attacked over and over again, and we're tempted to give in. Number one is reading Scripture and discussing it together as a family, as a couple, as a ministry. And secondly, is praying together. We find time for everything else, but those two go first. What is the enemy seeking to do? To lure us to live independent of God. Ruth Ann and I can pray together. There's a dynamic that takes place there that is much different than eating together. The elders, we met Tuesday night and we prayed together. There's a dynamic taking place that is much different than other items. We prayed for many of you on Tuesday night. Prayed about some other items. That's what God designed. Please understand that prayer is not primarily individual. That is part of it, but it involves a family. It involves a married couple. It involves ministry. And we invite you to take a hymn. We're not going to sing now. That's not the point. But take our hymn. On. Turn to one sixty-two. One sixty-two. Hymn one sixty-two. The song goes: What a friend we have in Jesus! All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. To drive home my point. When was the last time you as a couple took your sins and griefs to God and carried each other's burdens in prayer, through God in prayer, together? As a family, when was the last time you as a father and a mother and a husband and a wife, I'm sorry, yeah, husband and wife and children, prayed together. Have we trials and temptations in verse 2? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're having struggles as a family. We're talking to you. We're having struggles as a couple. We're talking to you. Things are going good. We still want to talk to you because we want to be dependent upon you. We have struggled in this ministry. Let's pray together. Taking it to the Lord in prayer. Hymn 166. Hymn 166, sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. I ask myself this and I'm asking you, when was the last time you and your wife prayed together for an hour? When was the last time you and your children prayed together for an hour? When was the last time our ministries prayed together for an hour? When was the last time our church prayed together for an hour? There's nothing sacred about an hour. I'm just using a song. We can watch a football game for hours. Hours. We can watch a TV movie or another movie for hours. We can play a game and it may go hours. The enemy don't want us to pray. Sweet hour of prayer. If you and your mate or you and your family prayed together for an hour, would we see a difference? and how we live and how we respond. And again, nothing sacred about an hour. I'm just driving home a point of prayer. 167, teach me to pray. Let's rephrase that. Teach us to pray as a couple, as a family, as a ministry, as a church. Teach us to pray. This is my heart cry day unto day. I long to know thy will. We long to know thy will and thy way. Teach us to pray. We may do many things well, but if prayer is neglected, we're struggling. I say that to myself. I say that to you. How has the Lord ministered to you? Are you willing to simply say, Lord, you've challenged me I want to respond. I want to act on how you challenge me." We pause in silence. You share with the Lord your desire to be responsive. Father, again, I reiterate that we want to be doers of your word and not hearers only. In Christ's name I pray, amen.